Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. I'm Katie Federal, and we are just getting started with our second season, so we're glad you're here. Since we're also starting a new year, I thought it would be fitting to begin with seeds. So today, we'll hear from Zachary Page of Virgus, Minnesota and North Circle Seeds. Zachary's seed company and collective is also in its second season, and he's got plenty to share on seed saving and the value of community and diversity in the practice. So let's get right to it. Hey, Zach. Thanks for joining today. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? Oh, pretty well. Just uh, sitting here in my seed office. Why don't you tell us a bit about where you're from and uh, what brought you to Minnesota? Um, so I'm from Long Island. I um, I was teaching music out in Westchester in 2010 and 11. I started working on sustainable farms in Vermont, and I kind of wanted to experience that more. Um, so I put down the music and on the farm in Vermont, there were a sustainable operation and I noticed that they didn't save any of their own seeds. So I guess that kind of like sparked something in me where I was thinking, well, how could you call yourself sustainable, um, sustaining your operation if you're not saving any seeds? And it was just something that I thought was important and useful um, to to learn how to do since uh, some farms weren't doing it. So that being said, I went to a, a week-long seed school at uh, Native Seed Search in 2012, met Bill McDormand, and just got really inspired um, to start like a seed library and a seed company. So eight years later, I'm starting North Circle Seeds. I went back to Minnesota and um, yeah, just there's all sorts of seeds in uh, the White Earthland Recovery Project, which I was working for and just started organizing them and starting a seed library and starting saving every seed that I could possibly save and and learn through doing it. So, And then I kind of stuck around Minnesota because I just the community was so um, vibrant and I uh, just connected with a lot of people, both from the native community in White Earth and the region, as well as the uh, Sustainable Farming Association. When I first went to the Sustainable Farming Association annual conference in 2013 with Sue Wicca and the Sustainable Food Production uh, course, um, I just met so many seed savers and was interested in everything that people are doing and um yeah uh interned at ryan pesh's farm light a farm and now i live about eight miles away and feel like feels like home in minnesota here so uh i get to grow seeds and um with the minnesota community with people um, that have been doing it for a while so lots of opportunity to learn. And I feel like it's an important place to do it because there's not a lot of uh, seed companies or seed collectives uh, going on in this particular area, the north central area of the country. Uh, there's a lot of seed companies out east and a lot out west, but not so much in the central. So, um, so yeah, I feel 
it feels like uh, doing a useful thing with community, and it's a lot of fun to uh, say it's Eve with um, with people that are interested in learning, and we're all learning together. So. Oh, sure. And I mean, first of all, just like being a Minnesotan, that just, you know, warms my little Midwestern heart that you found a nice community here and we're able to work together with people. Yeah. Um, but then second, you also mentioned initially that like something sparked for you with uh, with the seed saving when you first saw that out east. And have you been able to identify like what exactly about seed saving and organic seed production is so important to you that, you know, you you've built your business and your life around it? Yeah, I think it was brought back to when I was hoeing garlic for weeks. They had about 10,000 garlic heads at the farm and I was just spent a lot of to- spent a lot of time with nature and the bobolink uh birds were flying around um, with their very strange robotic song. <laughs> and uh, I think one thing that I was thinking about a lot at that time which kind of unraveled later was um, I had no study with uh, biology or anything with plants prior to this. And I was just thinking, what's the difference between a cultivated crop and a wild crop? Like, why are some uh, foods just left wild and they're fine? And and then some are just meticulously cultivated and weeded and farmed. So this question was just stewing in my brain. And then when that question met with the question why don't sustainable farms save their own seed? I think those two questions collided and um, that's kind of what ended up being that spark and um, led me to go back to school for a master's in plant breeding and just interested in how this whole breeding works and um, and yeah, why we, why we do it, why we farm <laughs> and why, what, uh, wild foods uh, are available mixed with, uh, yeah, what uh, foods people have been farming for about 10,000 years. So it was interesting learning the history and learning more about seed saving generation to generation and the influence that that's had over humankind for the last 12,000 years. But yeah, organic seeds. Um, when I went to school, I was learning about how uh, the organic systems are like the need and the the consumer um, uh, demand for organic has just been growing and growing every year. So um, I would assume that the the demand for organic seed is growing and growing because organic farms have to choose certified organic seed first. So if that variety is not available, they could go with a variety that is not grown certified organic, but uh, if you have it available as certified organic, they have to choose that. So that's where that's what I'm up to now. We just got certified this year, so next year, 2021, all our seeds will be certified organic. Um, I'm part of the Organic Seed Alliance, which uh, works with a lot of organic seed growers, and it's a it's a small community, um, but it's vast. I mean, we have so many. Uh, amazing varieties between us that we're all stewarding and um, the seed world the organic seed world is a small world I, I suppose when we go to the conference every two years in Oregon that it's probably about four or five hundred people um, and I, I assume about half of us are there so it's a it's a small 
um, amount of people, but making a big, um, I, I would like to think we're making a big impact on uh, increasing crop diversity in our own little micro regions and regions. Um, a lot of small seed, the benefit of having small seed companies splattered around the country is, um, is so that you're adapting seeds to your microclimates and then you're sharing them with your community and local environments and more and more people are seed saving. And um, this is the way it was with the land grant institutes uh, about a hundred years ago when the patent office actually gave seeds out for free to all these uh, regions and places that had public access to seeds. Um, But now with patents, it's not that way anymore. So the need for, for public breeding and, and, um, and adapting seeds to our local environments is, uh, is a necessity, um, nowadays. But anyway, (laughs) organic seed, um, it's, uh, it's, it's grown without chemicals. That's, that's the, that's the crux of it. It's grown. So they're hardy. Um, and that's what what you want to grow anyway. You want to grow a crop without chemical input because um, I guess you could think of it as like an athlete. If the athlete's doping up and taking all these uh, steroids and things that are uh, making them perform better, maybe those athletes, like uh, when they're doing the uh, the home run year, when was that? Uh, uh, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and all these guys are doping up and they're all hitting 70 home runs and okay, well, that's good. Is that sustainable? Um, probably not. (laughs) Um, and then they get their awards taken away and all that. But, um, but we want to have our seeds, uh, hold up. So they're hardy. Uh, they're grown in an organic environment. So they're bred to organic environments. So when a lot of these seeds that have these chemical inputs, they're bred and grown and seed saved with those chemicals, those chemical aids, so when you take those away, uh, because those chemical inputs are not uh, sustainable to everybody, not everybody has access to uh, labs that make all sorts of chemicals that are bad for soil health and all the and everything else. But um, but yeah, there, it's a simpler way to do it, and it's also the way we've been uh, growing and saving uh, seed for the last ten thousand years. So right. Yeah, I'm always kind of blown away when uh, to kind of zoom out a bit and remember that a lot of the the practices that we kind of take for granted of just like, this is just how things are. This is how we've always done them is not true at all. And it's, you know, something within the last century or so that it's been introduced, which is just a blip on the time scale of uh, agriculture and, you know, humans existing at all. Yeah, yeah, we've changed it. We've changed it a lot. I'm not against technology and i don't have a lot to say on this because i I have a lot to learn but i think there could be really cool highly technical systems using technology and maybe even ai and whatnot to to grow uh crops and organic systems i was watching this like really fancy machine like weeding lettuce like in between lettuce plants like with lasers and stuff it's like well (laughs) you know it's if it's like solar run and all this stuff it's like hey like that seems okay if it's uh yeah having like creative new creative innovative things is a good thing 
I'm curious about your time with White Earth and what you worked on there, what you learned. Yeah. Um, what I worked on there was uh, working with uh, native seed keepers um, and organizations like Dream Wild Health and Rowan White, Diane Wilson, and Jessica Green Deer. Um, we're leading this Upper Midwest Indigenous Seed Keepers Network. And we worked on a large grant together where we connected. Um, a bunch of tribes from North North Dakota, um, South Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, and um, yeah, it's a it's a really wonderful group of seed savers, and um, I think the big thing that I've learned with working with the Native American community as well as the um, sustainable farming community, um, both in Minnesota and the region, is the benefits of connecting and meeting face to face and having circle meetings where you're just sitting in a circle talking, getting to know more people, listening to other, other stories, um, sharing your stories. I think that's where the magic happens. At least that's how I interpret it. Um, there's a lot of technical training, the trainer, uh, knowledge being passed as well and resources being shared, but um, maybe I'm just somebody that um, is a sucker for meeting people face to face and uh, and learn that way. Yeah, I think that that doesn't happen quite as much, perhaps, in in our day. Or maybe that's just always an important thing to do is to kind of go outside ourselves and go outside our our circles and meet um, people from other tribes or. Um, other areas and and maybe even just down the road but um but learning from their stories and and their what they've been seeds that they've been saving and and um yeah getting a new perspective oh yeah from experience i that's i've always learned a lot from uh settings and environments like that too and now I'm, you know, really missing that with the pandemic and all. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like a faraway dream of being able to sit in a circle with a group I know. of people. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> totally. I guess one one other thing that we did was um these rematriation projects. Um Rowan coins rematriation um as most seed keepers are women um from the tribes and bringing back seeds that were originally from a tribe or a region. Um, and then adapting it and growing it out and then saving it. And then I think the, the end goal is always to have it as a food source. Um, so it's beyond just saving the seed for seed. And there's so many rare seeds and there's so many seeds that only have a hundred seeds in a jar. And it's pretty daunting to think that like, it's hard to grow out all of these seeds for their intended food use. There's different strategies that I deal with that um by like mixing things together and and um and creating population breeding projects but with rare seeds that are important to a community or tribal community you want to be able to keep them uh pure among just that variety so if you're growing out like a corn like bear island flint which i've grown before you want to make sure that that corn is isolated from other corn because it's wind pollinated and then you're growing enough in a population um more than 200 
probably ideally more than a thousand plants, and then saving enough from that selected seed. Um, most, I would I would say most uh, old corn and most old seeds have inbreeding depression. So the good thing about saving seeds with a community is that many different people might have different sources of that seed. And then when you get together, like in these meetings in person, hang out, you could also get your seeds to commingle and hang out and then share a seed. I give, I could give somebody half my barrel on flint seed. They give me their half. Let's say you have 10 people growing it out and everybody kind of shares the genetics and it's all selected for the general um, cold climate regions or growing something together collectively. So that's where kind of, that's where the magic happens with the community shared responsibility of uh, seed genetics with rare varieties. And having those uh, education workshops and trainings on how to isolate things properly uh, is super important because then you'll, the people that you're talking with are we're all on the same page now. We all know how to isolate corn and we all know what we're doing with the different uh, varieties and species and they all act differently. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was just rant- ranting for a little bit. No, I'm learning so much and I appreciate this. And It was also when you started your story talking about the just, you know, having a hundred or so seeds in a jar. And I got so nervous thinking about oh, like, yeah. the, pr- the pressure of, you know, trying to Make sure that they continue to exist. And- yeah, I think maybe I'm wrong, but I think every person that's like obsessed with seed or <laughs> obsessed but uh, <laughs> grows a lot of varieties have has definitely messed up. And yeah, you feel bad because maybe you uh, could have grown something better or stored it better. Or, but there's always next year. And the other thing is never grow out all your seeds. If you have 100 in the jar, then grow out. 25 so you get four years <laughs> to try it um, yeah never grow out of all of it so that's rule number one if you've got something <laughs> rare <laughs> even if you got two seeds grow one <laughs> sure <laughs> so but yeah if you've got a small amount you're not going to want to do a germination test because maybe that's all your seed <laughs> for a seed company we want to germinate 400 seeds per variety so if you only have 400 <laughs> can't be doing that <laughs> Right. And I guess, I mean, that's where, you know, the community comes in of, you know, thank goodness you don't have to carry the responsibility of the survival of the seed uh, variety all on your own shoulders and that you can work together and pull your knowledge to um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, grow them out. Well, maybe we should zoom out a bit and then like what what should farmers and gardeners know about seed saving? Like what are some of the basics? Uh, you just gave a good one of don't grow out all of your, you know, precious seed <laughs> yeah. in one go. Yeah, I suppose like people that have been saving seed already kind of um, are starting to get a handle on it and they maybe have their own special varieties that they're growing. So I'd encourage people um, that are like that, that are already kind of got their toes wet to maybe try one more variety that they've never seed saves before. Um so if you're saving your own beans, which is something fairly easy to save, like a bean is a seed. So if you're cleaning your uh, food, then you're cleaning your seeds. And then 
storing seeds is mainly cool, dark, and dry, and not a lot of temperature changes. And then you definitely want to have your seeds in an area that doesn't have a lot of moisture when you're storing them. Um, that's probably the biggest killer of seed. What I'll do is dry down seed um, in a dehydrator without the heat mechanism going on. So it's just air blowing through it. And you could leave that oh. on for like days. Um, with squash seed, it takes days to dry it down completely. Um, and then putting it into a paper bag. And then from that point, if you feel like your seeds are really dry, um, I like to buy silica gel packs that just helps dry down the seed even further. And then you could put them into something like a mason jar and close the lid with the silica gel packs in there. Um, so those are like kind of good uh, strategies for like any seed. Basically, you want your seed really, really dry and you want to store it in, a, in an environment that's cold and or not overly cold but just that the temperature doesn't go up to 70 and down to 30 every day um so i think the the challenges in our region are that we have a short season so somebody was interested in growing the orange corn blend that we have and asking about can i plant this later than the uh, genetically modified hybrid corn next door across the street uh, corn is a tricky one. Um, I wouldn't recommend it for a beginning seed saver. So the self-pollinated crops are probably the way to go. So self-pollinated crops are like lettuce, uh, beans, peas. Peas are probably the easiest to seed save um, out of anything because they grow really vigorously. And then something uh, that you could challenge yourself with is radish. Um, so radish is like one of the easiest things to grow. And then they'll grow a stalk and then seed pods and you could eat the seed pods, which are a new food and then I watch the seed that. pod uh, dry oh my down. Gosh. Yeah. I pretty unsuccessfully grew radishes a couple years ago where they were just very small. They were also in a planter box. It was an experiment, but the, the seed pods were very fruitful. I had a ton of those and I yeah. tried to save the seed, but I didn't know I could just eat them. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you could eat them when they're like green and then you'd maybe wait another month or two to have them dry down like woody. And then um, at that point, there'll be little seeds inside. And if you want to be sharing all your seed and just grow something that you want to like share with everybody, um, try growing ground cherries because you could literally grow one or two plants of ground cherries and get thousands upon thousands of seeds. I think I counted how many ground cherry seeds I had from like 40 plants. And I'm pretty sure I have over 300,000 seeds. <laughs> so a little bit more than I think I need. Um, and that's, uh, that's something else to consider too, is like how many seeds is your crop going to produce? Um, so some things like, Tomatoes might have 50 to 100 seeds inside them. And then beans would only have like maybe 50 to 100 per plant. Well, yeah, and that's per plant though. So, so yeah, something to consider is, yeah, how much you're going to get out of it in terms of seed saving and how, how many plants you need to start with. Um, for something like tomato, if you're just gardening and you're just looking to get your seeds for the next year, you might only have to save one to two tomatoes, which might get you 50 to 100 
seeds back. Oh sure, yeah, and that's just a small yeah, not too big of a deal. Yeah, yield, yeah. Okay, well, you, you touched a little bit on um, kind of the role that our climate, where we are in Minnesota, plays, and like how we should be seed saving with your corn example. Um, are there, you know, other influences that our environment up here plays, or on how we save seeds, and maybe even why we save seeds? Yeah. So yeah, number one is like there's not a lot of seed collectives going on in Minnesota generally and this whole upper Midwest generally. Um, so the more people save seed, the better and connecting up with the community at North Circle Seeds or um, what they're up to in the Finland areas is awesome. They're David Abaz and Corey Melby and a bunch of seed savers up there having their own smaller, more micro collectives. And then we're kind of like the state collective. So it's like anybody could get together in any form or way or gardeners and farmers meeting up and, and growing out what they love to grow out. Um, so I'd say like follow your your own instinct on what you love to grow and then maybe uh, save the seed of those uh, those plants that you love to grow. I really love garlic and corn. So if I wasn't a crazy seed person saving everything i'd probably choose garlic and corn to save um and you have to save garlic anyway because that's the garlic but yeah um if you're attracted to squash and you're growing it every year and you're really excited by it um that would be a fun thing to seed save because then you could start selecting for flavor or color maybe the inside of the squash you really want a dark orange or you want the sweetest squash if you t- taste test and save only the sweet ones, um, the genetics will be showing that the next year and the next year. So that's the fun part of um, of seed saving is it's really malleable to your own desires, your personal interests of what you find um, that you love to eat. And you could really change your, your food by um, saving them year to year. I think the practical standpoint or the economic standpoint is that um, every year you save seed, if you're saving it at your own farm or garden, then you're really saving it to your like specific microclimate, like very, (laughs) your own like plot of land. (laughs) So your seed is going to do better than any other seed out there because it's adapting to your specific climate conditions. And that's something that, is extremely useful and beneficial if you're and disease pressure as well um so that'll be useful to your yields yeah that echoes uh what i think jerry ford was telling us in a a couple episodes we've done on garlic earlier uh, this year and just how he stopped getting garlic seed from other parts of the country and yeah uh by now i mean after farming for so many years that garlic that he saves every year is is perfectly suited for his own farm yeah it's funny because sometimes sometimes you'll try a new variety or a new crop on your farm and it won't really do well that first year like the ukrainian squash two years ago i tried it and i think only like two plants made it and like five squash so i had to go back and get more seed but then those seeds that i saved those from those five couple hundred seeds it grew amazing this year so it's like it almost needed a Um, year to kind of figure it out 
Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting and how like quickly it can adapt to yeah. just within one growing season. And even if it was my fault, even if it's the farmer fault for some reason, <laughs> I didn't fertilize it enough or this or that, I gave it a stressful situation, um, right? So like those five mm-hmm. plants, no matter what went wrong, those were the strongest ones that came through. So I always think of... Uh, I always think of things uh, in a positive light. <laughs> so yeah. you have a massive failure, you have a, a frost that kills every single tomato plant, but one tomato plant did not die. I mean, it's like, that's a huge success. <laughs> I don't think about all those ones that are dead. I think about the one that survived and now I'm going to save those seeds and now I got something interesting. So... So it's a very optimist. You know, I think it's a glass half full kind of uh, thing to get into because you're always thinking about selection. You're we're always doing that anyway. Uh, we're always selecting the best fruits for the market. Um, so when you're seed saving, you kind of have to do double that because you want to save your best fruits for seed saving too. Um, so you will have to up your um, plantings. Um, because if you're saving things, you don't want to just save the end of the year's uh, fruits that aren't that good and have cracks in them maybe um, or from plants that, um, yeah, because you want to be looking at everything. You want to look at the plant structure. You want to look at the the leaves. You want to look at which plants have less late blight um, so all these are the considerations going into seed saving as well when you get to that step two, I suppose, of seed saving when you're really looking at the physiological structure of the plant and you're asking yourself, do I really want to save seed from this plant? Because you might have a really nice ear of corn, but it's on the ground because the plant lodged. So it's like, do I want the genetics of uh, lodging prone stock lodging prone plant, even though the ear is nice. So you, you want to take um, into consideration how the, the plant is doing, not just the fruit as well. Oh, that's a great point. Oh, are there other challenges that, you know, growers might experience with saving seeds? You've definitely touched on a few already. Yeah, I think like learning, learning about all the disease, possible disease that goes into each um, species and what you have to consider so so yeah if you're like saving um tomato seed maybe one that's uh doesn't have a lot of late blight would be a a good a good thing to consider and um yeah there's all kinds of bacterial wilt and virus and they all kind of or most of them kind of work on a spectrum so a lot of these viruses and bacteria is like they're in the soil and if you're doing if you're rotating your crops and you're doing everything right you'll lessen the chance that they'll have a devastating effect on your yield or plant but they might be there some of these diseases aren't completely deadly um to but then you want to watch out for if they're seed-borne diseases because you don't want to have those and there's things you could do like freeze your seed um put them in a freezer for a few days but generally yeah 
you could look up which uh, variety that you're saving and just kind of look up the common diseases uh, that they, they might have and, and watch out for that. And, uh, you know, before we started this episode, you had mentioned something about, you know, sharing the risk being a benefit of community seed banking. And yeah, wondering what you can tell us about that and how that might work in practice. Yeah, um, that's what I, I hope we're trying to do with North Circle Seeds. Um, it's been hard to know with the pandemic. I think the thing that, I, that I'll go back to about the, um, the important uh, aspect of, of a community is basically like meeting up <laughs> as much as you can, uh, having parties, having uh, opportunities to get together and gather. Um, so if you're not doing that in person, um, I spent a lot of time on the phone, uh, a few Zoom calls, and we had a Zoom meeting with uh, Organic Seed Alliance. And I was just like almost in tears because I was just like so happy to see like, oh, I'm the seed people. <laughs> oh. Yeah, because uh, there's like 50 people on the call and like I know like wow. half of them because it's such a small world and you don't re realize that we go to conferences and we see a lot of uh, people um, sparingly throughout the year. But with uh, COVID, um, we kind of have to make that time um, either on the phone or however we do it, maybe writing letters and sh sending seeds. But, um, but yeah, I think like managing a seed company um you definitely have to keep in touch with people a lot um which is fun because you get to hear how things are going um when when um that seed was planted when it's projected to be harvested and then depending on what crop I'll go to the the farm and either help harvest or um just have a minute to chat about how it went so Growing seeds in a collective is super important and and fun and there's different and necessary, uh, especially for crops that are cross pollinated crops. So I live, I don't have a, a ton of fields. I just have like one two acre field and then another two acre field, and they're both isolated. So I could grow corn on either field, but I can't grow my seven varieties of corn. So the corn is one as a seed collective. I would. I need other growers, um, and and I like that. I like that there are certain crops it's just necessary for other people to grow. Um, same with the squash, and I don't have a lot of cucumbers right now, but we want to grow a delicata out, so David Abbas uh, grew that this year. Um, but that's a cucurbita papo, so that, that would cross with the pumpkin that I grew this year. So that wouldn't be good. <laughs> so yeah, there's just like, there's different ways to do it. Um, and there's different reasons. I'm just obsessed with peppers. So I have like pollination cages and there's way to, ways to do it that way too, where you're caging off uh, different crops. So the thing to know about um, seed saving, if you're like one thing to know is like, know the species of your plant um, because only within that species will the there be a potential to cross pollinate. Yeah, well, let's let's hear more about uh, you. You mentioned like David Abaz was growing the delicata, delicata squash out. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell us about like what some SFA members are up to up at North Circle Seeds and the Seed Collective. Yeah, so we had a 
we had more growers this year than last year and i i'm gonna guess we'll probably just keep having more and more although we want certified organic so um this might the collective aspect might be uh, if growers are not certified then either we'll put that out as a not certified seed or um or maybe they'll grow it as a seed increase and then i'll grow it the next year um so yeah eric uh hi mark and Alyssa and scott ryan they had a project to grow out the blue corn so this is like the biggest blue corn uh planting i've ever done with this um mix and it's a it's a really fun interesting mix with a lot of mexican uh, genetics and land races and just old blue corn uh varieties just mixed together um i essentially just want to see a a blue corn that's kind of like semi-dense semi-flower that's perfect for blue cornbread and tortillas and um they had a lot of fun growing it because of the covid pandemic uh the market wasn't there for all of the uh the corn so we have a lot extra um but it was good too because i have some extra for seed and we were able to do a harder selection so just choosing the best of the best of the best years and got I'm some sure. really beautiful like 16 inch or to 12 to 16 inch long uh cobs that were just phenomenal and um yeah, Eric has a um, Maple Ridge uh, bread company, and they're baking bread with gluten-free uh, uh, blue corn meal. And um, yeah, so we're working together as SFA members, and uh, yeah, they're over in Aiken. Yeah, and then uh, Alyssa Jacobson, um, I don't know if she's a SFA member or not, but Alyssa, if you're listening, you're going to have to be an SFA member now. <laughs> Um, we got her all right yeah uh she works with open hands farm she also does her own uh growing and she so she grew beans on certified organic organic land and even though beans are easy to seed save uh, it's hard to save a lot of them uh if you don't have the right machinery so she grew out four varieties um of beans of heirloom bean seed so that was a really good connection. Um, yeah, David Abaz up in the Finland area and Corey Melby. Corey uh, provided um, a pea to us. We're going to call it a Finskigen Snow. <laughs> Finskigen, I think it, I'm saying it right, is their, the name of their farm. Um, Finskigen okay. Farm. And uh, Corey and Pam um, provided that seed that they'd been, been saving for a while. I felt like it made a better snow pea than a sweet pea. Um, and they're just super prolific. And then he was saying that they also uh, dry them down and um, crack them for porridge or soup. And I, I did a little of that and they were really tasty that way too. So, so yeah, we've got a new variety um, from uh, SFA member. And yeah, we've been doing that for, for a lot of our, our seed varieties. Greg Reynolds uh, provided the Peron Sprayless uh, tomato. Um, I believe it's got its name because you don't have to spray it with anything because it's got such good disease resistance. Um, oh, wow. Greg also provi provided a lot of seed um, to North Circle Seeds. Let me think uh, the other varieties. Well, this year he provided one from Adaptive Seeds called Maria Nagy or Nuggy. 
Um, and it is by far the sweetest, best paste tomato. Um, so it's from, I think it's an heirloom from Romania, uh, that had been growing out in Oregon for a while with adaptive seed company. And then Greg had been selecting it for a Minnesota climate here. And they're kind of like, they're shaped like a heart and they just got the best, best tomato flavor. I thought this year. Gosh, yeah, this is making me hungry. <laughs> I did not anticipate this talking about seeds. Wow. Yeah. Oh, um, the U- Ukrainian squash came from David Massey. And yeah, Sue Wicca has been growing out her um, early scarlet horn carrot and some hot peppers. Um, Andy Hayner uh, grew out the um, Jimmy Redcorn. He's been growing it for like three years now and is doing such a great job with it. Um, that corn comes from Kentucky, which is a very rare corn they used to make whiskey out of. But yeah, there's some some uh, SFA members that are um, involved. And oh, uh, John Beaton grew out the uh, Pinky Popcorn this year, and he had a lot of fun with it and got a bunch got a good yield. Well, if people want to get involved or with your seed collective or learn more about um certain varieties of seeds uh, where can they find you how can they get in touch yeah so we've got um a podcast called seed stories um i think we've got over 10 episodes maybe 15 now um talking with seed savers so we kind of go into different uh the different varieties and species we'll actually go into how to seed save those so if you find an episode on tomato you could expect to hear some seed saving tips throughout the episode um, so that's one way to, to learn. And then uh, feel free to get in touch. Uh, I've got contact information on our Facebook page, North Circle Seeds. And you can find all our new varieties on our website, www.northcircleseeds.com. And um, yeah, don't be afraid to post a question. I love uh seed saving questions i probably spend more time answering beginner seed saving questions than anything else just because it gets me excited about um talking about all the possibilities and so even if you have a very beginning type of question that's kind of my favorite um to answer and talk about but yeah if if you're interested in growing seed all of our seed is open pollinated meaning that um you could save the seed from the seed that we grow and we're part of a open source seed initiative and that's a pretty cool initiative to look up as well um all the seeds that are pledged in that uh, open seed source initiative are pledged to not have any restrictions on the seed so you could save the seed and and work with it um there's a few varieties that i'm trying to make new varieties and then pledge those varieties to that initiative. And then once they're pledged, um, then it's basically the opposite of what Monsanto Bayer does. They say we're putting a patent or a utility patent on a seed and you can't save it or else we'll, you'll go to jail. Uh, we're saying the exact opposite. We're saying we're pledging this not to have any restrictions ever. And you can freely save the seed and sh- please share it. So um, so if you do get seed from North Circle Seed, know that you 
you can save it. <laughs> uh, um, it's, yeah. And it's kind of the company is kind of made for that. It's like it's open pollinate is what it's called or heirloom. And um, and so, yeah, we're trying to grow some things out that are diverse and interesting, um, as well as some standards like Wisconsin 55 tomato. Um, we don't, we don't want to get too weird. <laughs> we want to grow like <laughs> good crops for good food and yield well. And that's kind of like our number one. And our number two is, um, um, selected to our climate as well as, um, growing diverse foods with diverse communities. Um, we're growing out African eggplants and, um, Japanese eggplants and, um, yeah, the corns from Mexico are making tortillas and we're working with, um, with growers with the hot peppers, uh, Latino community. Um, yeah, so a lot of it's a lot of fun and, um, I'd encourage people to, to try and save some of our seed. We're right here in Minnesota, so it's going to do well. My neighbor, uh, was growing seeds he bought from, uh, hardware store or something like that and then he grew out the um butternut squash and he's like all your butternut squash seed came up but none of my other seed came up and i was like well oh. yeah you live next door to me <laughs> like <laughs> i think it's gonna all work out pretty well for you <laughs> um oh so, man yeah there we go like the the adaptability in action there yeah exactly so yeah well wonderful thank you so much for your time today and we'll put the put those links you mentioned in our show notes too for folks and yeah we'll be sure to have you on an episode in the future for you know planning your garden um during the winter for some growing seeds throughout the next season yeah that'd be great so if you're a sustainable farming association member um you can get a 10 percent discount from north circle seeds uh details pending but we'll get out a, a mailer soon enough um I think the way we'll do it is uh, just email me or contact me. Um, I'm a member. I want the discount, and I'll give you a discount code. Excellent. Yeah, that'll be a nice little treat for members. And yeah, uh, just a reminder, too, to members that uh, you get free registration to our virtual annual conference this year. So cool. it's a great time to join if you you know want some seeds and you want some knowledge from the conference. <laughs> Definitely. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.